This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. where Monet Exchange, my alleged co-host, is still missing in action. But that's okay. I'm Lady Bunny, and we have a very special guest who is going to discuss the elections and all of its twists and turns. I would love for you to welcome Steve Morris, the senior political producer at The Recount, who covers politics and elections with a focus on progressives, yay, and young voters. Hi, Steve. Welcome. Hi, Bunny. Thanks so much for having me. I uh, follow you and The Recount on Twitter, so it's nice to actually have you in person to discuss I don't know, what would you say, a surprising election outcome? Yeah, surprising, weird, shit show in some ways. A <laughs> little bit of hope in other ways. I don't know, it's all been weird, right? Yeah, I mean, I I, I do not watch uh, mainstream media. but I was, <laughs> I was on a plane coming home from California the day before the elections, and you know, the Democrats seemed on, on CNN, MSNBC, seemed like, you know, oh, uh, you know, ready to start throwing the blame when they lost. And of course, now they've maintained control of the Senate mm-hmm. and um, the, the Republicans did pick up seats in the House. Um, 
And then I watched a little bit of, of Fox. And I mean, I've never seen like, you know, Laura Ingram was just like licking her chops. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they, they were just, I mean, they were, they were like, you know, ready to, to roll. And, you know, I mean, it almost reminded me of in 2016 when all of the polls said that Hillary was a shoe in mm-hmm. and um, then Trump won. And I'm like, so yes, we we don't want to base every th- conclusion that we make on um, on pundits, and of course, polls can be, you know, skewed to provide. But you know, I, I, I what? How did they get it wrong? What, what yeah. did they get wrong? Let's talk to me. Yeah, so just to start framing it for people, um, since World War II, the average, the party in power. Um, going into a midterm has lost an average of 28 seats in the House and four seats in the Senate every midterm election, which are those elections we have in between presidential elections. Going now, can, into I, this, can, I, can I stop yeah. you for one second? Yeah, yeah. Why is that? So a lot of reasons, but there's basically a, a core theory that a lot of political um, analysts have, which is called thermostatic public opinion. Um, which is basically a fancy term for Americans are stupid and get bored really easily of the party in power um, and don't have a lot of patience to kind of see things through. Um, and then in the in, in the past 20 years, you've seen even stronger wave elections. You know, you had a wave election for Democrats uh, in 2006 under George Bush, two waves uh, uh, for Republicans uh, in 2010 and 2014 um, under Barack Obama, and then a wave for Democrats in, in 2018. Um, And that has more to do, I think, with the way our media stokes um, discord in in both directions. Um, We we now have this, you know, 24-hour news cycle and we have social media and we have cable news, which just kind of pour more gas on on the fire. Um, That's my personal theory. Um, but even before that came along, you did have this discontent that would come across, that would come come through um, every every two years. Um, So going into this election, there was a lot stacked against Democrats. Um, with that average of 28 seat loss in the House, the average of four in the Senate, and Democrats had super narrow majorities. Remember, these were the the narrowest majorities either party has had in Congress um, in decades. Mm-hmm. And Republicans only needed to pick up five seats in the House to win control. So yeah, you had people like Laura Ingram really licking their licking their chops with good reason in a lot of ways. The polls showed Democrats weren't going to do great, um, and then things turned out uh, much different than than a lot of us expected. Yeah. Um, Well, I was wrong about something, and I'll gladly admit it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Democrats gave the election-denying Doug Mastriano in -hmm. Pennsylvania $800,000, hoping that he would—they wanted to boost the more extreme candidate so that the Democrat won. I have said that that's a very risky, you Mm -hmm. know, gamble. I mean, hey, it worked out, or there were other factors, but— you know, I, I I just think that's that's really risky to boost your worst opponent because that happened in 2016 when right, you know the, right. the 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 Clinton campaign decided that she wanted to boost Ben Carson and uh, and and Trump as the as the more out there Republicans because I guess she didn't want to run against the more established Jeb Bushes and stuff. So hey. That worked. That strategy worked with Doug Mastriano. It didn't work in 2016, but it worked with Doug Mastriano. Yeah, Democrats actually did that in a bunch of different races, especially in the House of Representatives. And that was a uh, a strategy 
deployed by uh, Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney, who's the head of Democrats' campaign um, arm, their their campaign strategy uh, apparatus. Um, and it worked in, in basically every race. And the irony of all of it is that that Democrat, Sean Patrick Maloney, lost his seat even as his strategy, you know, worked in other places. So there was this, these weird contradictory results all over the country. And New York, where where I'm coming to you from, was especially a shit show for Democrats um, and kind of the, the worst performing state for them across the board. They really shit the bed in New York. Yeah, I, I, I saw a tweet from you about, um, because one narrative is that Andrew Cuomo had appointed some GOP right. judges and that that was going to be bad for Democrats. And you did not think that that was the case. I'm always on my high horse about Andrew Cuomo because I never uh-huh. liked people that cut Medicaid during a pandemic and then are yep. hailed as, as, as heroes of the pandemic and sell, you know, mm-hmm. b- books. But w- so what... What what was the effect of his of, of Cuomo's appointees? Not yeah, as so, much. Yeah. So just to set the scene for everyone, we do our redistricting every ten years. We redraw the districts um, in every state. That's where gerrymandering comes in. Um, and before that, Andrew Cuomo, being the moderate or conservative Democrat that he is, um, very pro corporate in many respects. Um, appointed a bunch of uh, Republican and conservative judges who ended up striking down Democrats' maps um, that they had drawn to kind of to partially gerrymander and partially, you know, just advantage Democrats across the board. And it ended up creating this map that was much more favorable to Republicans. That is all very true. At the same time, Democrats lost four seats, five seats, that Joe Biden won in 2020, including two that he won by double digits. Um, by more than 10 points. And that, I don't think you can blame on Andrew Cuomo. That's, you know, the way Democrats ran their campaign in New York this year. Kathy Hochul, um, who was Andrew Cuomo's lieutenant governor and then became governor after he resigned in disgrace. Um, She ran a really poor campaign. She only ended up winning by six points against a really conservative member of Congress who was literally, you know, pro-insurrection. So that's on Democrats. You know, that's, that's their fault more than Andrew Cuomo to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I, people think of New York as and California as these blue, blue, blue states, mm-hmm. but New York City is blue, um, you know, stat, except for Staten Island. <laughs> and right, the rest right. of the state is not necessarily blue in the same way that San Diego in California is not blue. Right, right. And- so there's so, so when you get out of the big cities... You know, they're they're I mean, this is this is where the Trump people live. They're 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 in the more rural communities and the smaller cities. That's totally true. At the same time, Democrats did lose two seats um, that represent Queens. So they lost two seats in New York City. Um, and it's going to be the first time we've had Republicans representing that part of New York in in quite a while. Um so I, I think Democrats need to – to me, the big message there was there is a lot of frustration with centrist Democratic governance um, in very blue areas of the country. And I don't think a lot of you know establishment Democrats are willing to hear that message, you know? Mm, OK. So this is a quote, a tweet from Glenn Greenwald. A mm-hmm. full week after Election Day, there are still congressional districts where barely 65% of the votes are counted. In one district, more than half remain uncounted. Uh, there is no valid excuse to justify this in the world's richest country. It's just unacceptable. So 
now less less voters tend to vote in the uh, midterms than in presidential elections because mm-hmm. a lot of us think that we only have to show up once every four years to you know get what we want out of the government or 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 you know make some decisions. I mean, why is it so difficult for them to 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 count? Yeah, so like you said, a lot much fewer people tend to vote in midterms. It looks like turnout this year was quite high relative to to past midterms. In 2018, we saw the highest uh, voter turnout in a midterm in a century. Um, and that seems like, you know, since Trump, Trump has come along, one good thing is that more people vote. And that seems to have stayed the case this year. That is not, doesn't seem to be the reason why the counting is taking so long, though, because like that was an issue before all this high turnout. Um, And the basic story is that each state runs their elections differently. States like, you know, you have red and blue states, right? Red states like Florida, blue states like Oregon and Colorado that count their ballots really quickly. And they know how to do that. And they can get it all basically done by the morning after the election. And then you have red and blue states like California, like Arizona, that just take days and days and days to do it. And there are some some reasons that are pretty straightforward. Um, Republican legislatures in Arizona and Pennsylvania blocked uh, proposals from Democrats that would have sped up their counting. Um, and then oftentimes those very Republicans who blocked those those that speeding up of the process turn around and then say, oh, fraud, fraud, fraud. But Democrats also, you know, don't have clean hands. They they have complete control over California and we're still waiting on so many results. So I would actually agree with with Glenn Greenwald in that uh, in a lot of ways. You know, if we have this much money to spend on all the things we spend it on, we should be able to know who's won our elections eight days after. You know, we're, we're a week after the election. We still don't know a lot of these results. Yes, and I mean, there's bound to be, in a big country, issues in some of these, you mm-hmm. know, districts. I mean, I'm not saying that there's never going to be any issues. You know, it just seems like, oh, you know, these are national representatives. Can we not have a more streamlined process than this? It's 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 a little yeah. frustrating. But I mean, I don't, I also know that I don't know what governs the decisions of how different states, you know, do things. And there's always that battle of, you know, federal versus, you know, states. I mean, it, it, but it just seems like, wow, just for my own and everyone else's uh, nerves. <laughs> right. I totally same, same page there. Yeah. And I, I would, I would always say like, you can defend against like crazy conspiracy theories while also not defending Um, you know, the insanity of the slow count. Like if you're waiting at the DMV for eight hours and somebody says that we're all waiting because people are having an orgy in the back, all the employees are doing that, you can say that's a crazy thing while also not normalizing the fact that we spent eight hours at the DMV, you know? Well, I I would be be asking why I wasn't invited to the orgy. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I didn't even know that they had orgies at the DMV. Steve, you were very knowledgeable. I'm glad that you... (laughs) <laughs> Only in New York. Okay. So in in this election, which does have mixed um, mixed re- re- successes, um, what was discredited? I know that a lot of, uh, you know, Trump-endorsed, uh, you know, election-denying candidates lost. 
Yeah, so first and foremost, it was a bad night for Donald Trump. 90, 95% of the candidates he endorsed in swing states for Senate, for governor, or for state secretary of state, which is the office that oversees how elections are run and administered. Um, you know, the big majority of his candidates lost, um, most notably in Arizona, where he had uh, Carrie Lake, who was running for governor and who once threatened to sue a drag queen uh, for, for stating the fact that they had hung out once. Honey, um, she she needs to sue uh, Jerry Blank from Strangers with Candy because that's who she looks like. <laughs> do you not see it? Now that I've said I that, now, do you not see it? Now that you say it, I can't. I can't unsee it. Yeah. <laughs> now, 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 wasn't there? Now, I think that Carrie is very dangerous as a Sarah Palin mm. type figure because she is bright red Republican and, um, you know, she's uh, extremely pretty and extremely well-spoken. I mean, she's, she's, she's a TV personality, so she's polished. Um, I, I, now in one twist and turn, what she claimed, or maybe there was anthrax sent to her. Or a white oh, wow. powder. I, I didn't I don't know want, that. Oh, I don't want to say anthrax, but that yeah, there was there was a claim. So there there was some you know crazy stuff going on. But anyway, Trump candidates were a, a, considered a loser, and some uh, analysts have said Americans don't want this polarized thing. They don't want election deniers, whether they're you know conservative. Or not, but where do you think that this leaves Trump? Because um, is is his influence over the Republican Party fading? See, I I, I don't. I, I mean, DeSantis won big, who is considered mm-hmm. who may m- possibly one of his biggest challengers. Um, you know, also a Republican, but not completely crazy. And uh, you know, where wh- where do we go from here? With with, with yeah. what what are your feelings about? I mean, this, this this midterm election was a blow to Trump. Yeah, definitely a big blow to Trump. And I think it's important to emphasize that like everything we watched Trump do over the past six years is less of a big deal to Republicans than him costing them the election. You know, um, and I think we should keep that in mind. That for all the little tiptoeing out that we see Republicans doing, especially on Fox News, where we're seeing a little bit of softening, although we should be careful because we've heard that before. Um, that that mattered less to them than like publicly admitting to sexual assault and like inciting an insurrection. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind. There, I do think we should like we should keep in mind that that the opinions of Republican elected officials and Republican media personalities can only do so much. And Republican voters at the end of the day are the people who are going to decide on this. Um, I think that this the whole thing was kind of a perfect storm against Trump in that Democrats did much, much better in 48 out of the 50 states than everyone expected. The only two uh, that they performed really poorly in are New York, which we talked about, and then Florida, where DeSantis, like you mentioned, did super well. Um, I think DeSantis probably at this point will run against him. I don't know how that's going to shake out. Um, but Trump's Trump's announcement yesterday, which I had to watch for work, was just a reminder to me of like, he doesn't really, it, to me, I don't feel like he has the juice he used to, you know? He's not as exciting and as uh, as energetic. He just seemed really bored up there. And I think that if that kind of sinks in for people, they might be like, well, I want something new. I want something fresher. I want something newer. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I have not focused on Trump the way that many Democrats have, because my attitude is that Democrats who suck get Trump <laughs> elected. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I think that we could often use more introspection than um, than is offered by the liberal media, which is just, you know, content to bash Trump all day long. And, you know, I, while we, you know, sometimes may be sacrificing our principles by cozying up to the Liz Cheney's, you know, um, you know, who may be you know, like a, 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 you know, she voted 93% of the time with Trump. She, right, right. you know, is not an election denier and she spoke out against Trump in the insurrection, but she's still very, very conservative on every issue from abortion to gay rights to, you know, not taxing the wealthy to, you know, the whole GOP playbook. So I think there's a real danger in saying, oh, 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 the only thing, you know, that we need to worry about is Trump because. That first of all is policy for me anyway, policy over personality. And you can say that you know Trump is a uniquely dangerous force, but that's all negative campaigning. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have a platform to be for, uh, you know, then you could lose to the monster. Yeah, I totally agree. And I I do think there's a a danger here for Democrats of getting complacent and thinking they can just win elections moving forward by running against someone who's like a living caricature of the worst part of conservative ideology. Because the day is going to come when Donald Trump is not around and the packaging is going to be a lot slicker, a lot smoother, a lot prettier. And if you haven't developed, you know, policies and and an approach and a campaign apparatus that can beat a much prettier and more polished package, then you're going to be, you're going to end up, you know, back on your ass, which is where Democrats were, you know, before Trump came along. People kind of forget that Democrats were in a terrible position electorally going into the 2016 election. I do think one one thing beyond the the negative results for Trump that, that sticks out to me is how um, many progressives, at least progressives by the U.S. definition, um, over- <laughs> <laughs> overperformed expectations in a way we hadn't seen uh, in in past elections, you know. Yes, yes. I would like to uh, talk about that. What is the latest on Lauren Boebert, who is a Trump-affiliated uh, firebrand? Yeah, so Lauren Boebert is a congresswoman from uh, Colorado, and she comes actually not from a very deep red district. Trump only won her district by six points, but nobody really expected her race to be competitive And then out of nowhere on election night, it got super close. They're still waiting. The latest right now is that she's up by like 200 votes by like 0.5%. And what they're waiting on now are overseas and military ballots, um, which can go either way because sometimes they're military members who can be more conservative. And sometimes they're like 
you know, bougie liberals who move to France and like live over there, but still send in their ballots. So mm-hmm. we're probably going to get um, a clear picture of where that's at on Thursday or Friday. Um, so again, way after the election day. But at this point, the the, the math makes clear that the Democrats um, held the Senate, uh, yes. regardless of the Herschel Walker outcome in Georgia, which has not been, which is going to a runoff in December, my Lord, December. Um, but, but they've held that the, the Republicans took the house, right? No matter what yes. happens with, with Boebert or. Yeah. You know. Something, something big would have to like go wrong for Republicans at this point. I think we're probably going to get an official call from, you know, news networks that Republicans have taken the house in the next day or two, but yeah, Democrats completely have the Senate. The Georgia runoff will determine whether they stay at 50 seats or go up to 51. And Republicans um, are going to have a majority in the House. It just depends whether it's going to be by like three votes or four or five. So with a Republican House, probably, and, um, you know, Democrats holding the Senate, what does that mean? Is Does that mean gridlock? Yeah, so... With Republicans holding the House and Democrats having the Senate, it it likely means that any chance for major legislation um, is dead, um, particularly because Senate Republicans traditionally are a little bit more reasonable than House Republicans, which again, very low bar. But if you're <laughs> going to have a if you're going to have a mixed government, you'd rather Republicans, um, Senate Republicans, be at the table than House Republicans. Okay. But so so legislatively, you know, probably not much going to happen. But If you're a Democrat and you hold the White House and you can only have one chamber in Congress, the House or the Senate, you would much rather have the Senate because the Senate is in charge of confirming judges. And Democrats being able to hold the Senate means they can keep filling the federal judiciary with um, judges who, who, you know, I am a, I am someone who, who is very vocal about the areas where Joe Biden has fallen short. He's objectively put forth the most progressive judges of any president in modern history. And so that is now guaranteed to continue. The big thing that will, that will determine how big Democrats can go is if they get that extra seat. For the past two years, they've had a 50-50 split with Kamala Harris uh, breaking the tie. This is the longest stretch we've ever gone in American history with an equally divided Senate. And that's meant a lot slower movement on judges than um, that he would have had otherwise because they have to do extra procedural hurdles in order to get people confirmed. If they have 51 votes, then they have complete control of committees. They can move legislation or confirmations quicker. And they could theoretically, you know, lose Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema on something. They don't have to have 100% unanimity. So that runoff for Georgia really matters, especially because in 2024, Democrats have a bunch of uh, senators up in states that Trump won by big margins. So they're probably going to lose seats in 2024. So getting that one extra seat to give them a cushion um, is pretty key. Yeah. So a lot of the pundits, you know, complained about the messaging. Um, you know, Robbie Sawav, that's mm. how you say his name, from a Rising on the Hill, who is a libertarian, said that Republicans, I mean, he's a libertarian who will criticize the, the Republican establishment, mm-hmm. said that Republicans aren't really running on anything except culture war. So, you know, drag queen story hours, anti-abortion, yeah. pro-guns, um, you know, and and uh, uh, trans, you know, whatever. And and they're, they're running on the economy is bad and trying to link that to Joe Biden, even though I don't think that it 
that it's Joe Biden's uh, that everything bad about the economy is Joe Biden's fault, uh, but that they did that the Republicans did not have a really resounding economic uh, message to run on, and the Democrats were running on in a message of saving democracy, i.e., we're not the party of January sixth. Mm-hmm. And which they do overplay at times when people like Kamala say the one six insurrection was equal to nine eleven Pearl Harbor. I mean, let's just think about the number of deaths. One died at the insurrection the day after, and uh, you know, uh, uh, so, and you know, million. So anyway, so uh, now in this, in terms of of, of messaging. I remember Bernie Sanders was sent out at the last minute to give the Democrats more of an economic message. Um, why do you think that the Democrats weren't already, you know, uh, using an economic message? I mean, it, the the, the yeah. economy is a mixed bag. Jobs are back. I'm not an economic expert. Jobs are back. But, you know, uh, some analysis has said that you know, this should show Biden, who is an incrementalist, who does things in baby steps, the, mm-hmm. the centrist that actually doing stuff for people like the child tax credit, like, you know, attempting to cancel student debt, it actually garners votes rather than, you know, just doing nothing. So it seems like both parties were somewhat off with their messaging. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, you know, I would say Democrats coasted a little bit on, you know, we are not Donald Trump, but Republicans really coasted on just saying, hey, inflation's crazy and bad, right? Isn't it? Let's, you know, vote vote for Republicans. Um, I think there are a couple of reasons why Democrats shied away from the economics. Number one, to just speak plainly about the economic situation is a really big indictment of large corporations and corporate interests. And I think mm-hmm. There are a lot of Democrats who are hesitant to do that, um, just to be straight up about it. And, and, um, and do, when you say that, do you mean, and I, this is something that I've read but could not verify, that um, even though inflation is worldwide and cannot be blamed on Biden, some of the prices that people are struggling with, you know, could be diminished with putting the screws into corporations right, more. Right, completely. Yeah, you have, inflation is worldwide, it's happening everywhere. The U.S. is actually a little bit better off than a lot of other countries, but price hikes you're seeing, like, for chicken or eggs or for gas are exceeding inflation's um, core metrics in a lot of ways, so it's pretty clearly a lot of corporations just taking advantage of that. And I think there are some Democrats who are uncomfortable with that message. Some some more progressive Candidates did go really hard into that. John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, I think, is a a good example um, of someone who made that a centerpiece. Um, I I do think that another thing that stuck out to me is that the disconnect between how progressive policy does on its own and how Democrats perform um, was pretty stark. You saw a bunch of red states vote to legalize marijuana, for instance. You saw a couple red states vote down abortion restrictions. Yes. Um, so there's actually a, a big argument that progressive policies, including some that Joe Biden himself sometimes shies away from, um, overperform Democratic candidates, which is an interesting conversation on its own. 
Yes, and Summer Lee is being touted in, yes. uh, from Pennsylvania. She won her district there as uh, the first candidate. Well, she's for Medicare for All, which is progressive. And she's also, uh, APAC money came in to fund the Republican competitor of Summer. And uh, she actually won against APAC. I don't even know what APAC stands for, but it's... Amer- American-Israel Political Action Committee. Right, so they funded the you know Republican opponent because they're they do not want a voice in Congress to challenge, you know, Israel at all, and that's I I I don't think that happens much because I remember what happened yeah. when Nina Turner ran against Chantel Brown, and uh, Chantel won, who was more of a centrist, Nina more of a progressive, and. Uh, you know, they APAC money was flowing to you know the the more centrist um, Chantel, as well as Republican funders. So it's sometimes the message is that uh, the powers that be would rather have Republicans than mm-hmm. progressives, which is you know not a message that I like to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah that that district in Pennsylvania was. APAC spent a bunch of money against Summer Lee in the primary. Then she won the primary over a more conservative Democrat. And then they came back and spent a bunch more money in the general, which was their only the only race where they spent for Republican against a Democrat. That was the only race this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she'll be she'll be one more Democratic socialist in Congress, which yes. important to remember a couple of years ago, there was only uh, there was only one and it was Bernie. And now you've got about a half dozen in Congress. Yes. Now, uh, Stacey Abrams in Georgia and Beto O'Rourke in Texas lost their races. And so there's been a lot of speculation because they are regularly pumped up in the media. Um, They're not my favorites because they Mm -hmm. are centrist, although I don't delude myself that AOC or Bernie Sanders is necessarily going to win in a red state. But, um, but, but. I've seen criticism of them as, can we admit that these candidates, Stacey Abrams and Beto O'Rourke, while they're given a huge profile in mainstream media, they are not able to win elections, or at least elections in, uh, you know, red states. For example, Beto O'Rourke, when he was running for president in 2020, he made a, a firm statement uh, to a national audience that he was going to ban assault rifles. Mm-hmm. And so when you're when you're I mean, actually, I think he had to withdraw that immediately, uh, you know, with criticism from the Democratic Party, even though that is the Democratic. That was an outcry. Let's put it that that is the Democratic right. thing. We should ban assault rifles. Those should be on the battlefield, you know, in in a war zone. But in Texas, they think that if you come after even an assault rifle, you're coming after after their guns next. Right, yeah. So, I mean, it was just not a good move to say that and then try to run for governor of Texas. Um, I do think one, one, one factor that seems to have come out of this election is that Democrats, a lot of their incumbents in, in Congress, benefited from this overall feeling among the electorate of, there's so much chaos. There's so much going on. Let's just stick with who we know. And while that benefited benefited Democrats a little bit in congressional elections, it seems to have also benefited Republicans in some of these races for governor, where they already had Republican governors. They weren't super crazy Trumpy. They were like conservatives, but you know, kind of traditional conservatives. So just as crazy as normal. Um, 
And that didn't, that certainly didn't help Beto and, and Abrams. Um, I do think you're not going to see them come back after this, right? You can only lose so many times um, mm-hmm. and still still present yourself as a political savant. Um, so I'm curious, uh, you know, which which cable news, you know, <laughs> channels they they move to have contracts with after this. That, that's what I'm watching. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the the the, the accusations were flying, um, you know, all over the place as to why. Uh, Stacy might have had issues, especially since she was perceived as having an issue with uh, black male voters. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just as an as a as a bystander, she did try to campaign on raising the wages for policemen. Uh, you know, in in Georgia, and I mean, it's like to see sixty million protesters for Black Lives Matter, um, you know, uh, uh, two years ago, and then to see Democrats running on more money for the police, I don't quite know how that, I mean, what was the effect of Black Lives Matter? Was it to give the police more money? Because, you know, uh, the Democrats have voted to do that. And I know that defund the police is considered a dirty word because, you know, Obama's come out against it and all of this other stuff. Uh, you know, but but I'm, all I'm saying is, well, like it's a hard to understand concept because you're not saying take away the police's money so that there are none of them when you say defund. But mm-hmm. Republicans sure understood what defund Planned Parenthood meant. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's not like it's it, it's not like you 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 know it's that means completely make it go away. And so, you know, this is a this is an interesting, you know, dialogue to me because 60 million people can't get out in the street because of their dismay over black unarmed men being killed by police and then not have anything happen that's concrete. And I've seen a lot of um you know, uh, black men on Twitter saying, we want tangibles. And, you know, I personally love that because I don't know whether that means reparations or $15 minimum wage or right. making the police, you know, uh, release their, their, their body cam footage. But, you know, you had something to say on Twitter about I think it was J- Jumaine. Am I saying that right? Jumaine, uh, Jumani Williams. Jumani Williams, who is a New York, is he city council? He's the New York City public advocate. Yes. And so, you know, the situation that we're in in New York is that um, we elected Eric Adams, who right. is a former cop. Is he also a former Republican? He's not a for I don't believe so, but he's a he's a former policeman and then was head of uh, the Brooklyn uh, borough. Yeah. Okay, so he was elected and had a lot of black and Latino support, and mm-hmm. so the 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 liberals, you know, you know, and I'm I'm going to lump myself into this, you know, uh, even though I would say I'm more of a progressive than, than liberal. We're all saying, oh no, you got to get rid of the police, and so there is now an argument that, huh. Maybe all of the defund, uh, you know, stuff is not taking into account that people of color, while they do not want to be killed by police, they're not saying get rid of police because they, the crime happens in their neighborhoods, too. Yeah, totally. I, and I think that's something that a lot of white progressives need to spend more time thinking about, about how 
to talk about this in a way that's reflective of people's actual experiences. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, part of the problem is you, the, the big, you have someone like Eric Adams who, who won with a lot of diverse support, but then has turned around and fed, you know, completely fact-free narratives around crime. And there's a lot of evidence that that actually hurt Democrats in a, in a pretty substantive way around New York City. There was one map that came out that I saw on Twitter that shows that there's a congressional district in New Jersey where the, the media markets, you know, where people get their local news, it's split between Philadelphia and New York City. And in the Philadelphia market, the Democrat gained a bunch of points from Biden's performance two years ago. But in the Phil, uh, the New York City media market, he lost a bunch of ground, um, which would track with this idea that local news, you know, pumping up this crime issue um, with help from Eric Adams, you know, hurt Democrats. But um, yeah, it's a complicated it's a complicated question. And I think that's part of where progressives focus on getting more progressive people of color elected has come come into play. And that's where you see people like Summer Lee probably having more of a voice the next few years. Yes, I don't know if, if this was your retweet of John Gramlich of a Pew poll, which says percentage of registered voters who see violent crime as a very important issue, voting issue this year, mm -hmm. black Democrats, 82%, white Democrats, 33%. So, um, I'm so, so, so it's, it's not, that doesn't suggest that, that all black voters want to do away with the police. Yeah, no, for sure. And we have polling on that that shows, like, if you ask people, do you want to abolish the police? That's a really unpopular uh, view, including among black Americans. I think if I were, you know, uh, advising progressives, I would just say, look, you know, crime hurts the most vulnerable people's, people in our communities, right? It hurts women. It hurts immigrants. It hurts people of color. It hurts young people who've been abandoned by the educational system, by our public safety system. And you can you can frame that as a government failure without, you know, then deciding, oh, police should also be completely militarized and have access to unlimited funding. Um, but that takes a little bit more time and a little bit more nuance. And I hope that I hope the progressives start to do better about that. Um, but it takes a little bit. It takes a little bit more time. Well, crime hurts me, too. Trixie Mattel has completely stolen my look for years now, and there are no repercussions because she's under the umbrella of RuPaul's Drag Race and Fancy Agents. And, I mean, I just don't know what to do. If she starts to gain weight, I'm really going to uh, have some – there's going to be some lawsuit generous. She's DJing now? My God. I mean, she listened to the podcast. I'm kidding, you whore. Uh <laughs> So uh, now one thing that I'm looking at is that this, this, I didn't watch much of it, but I saw some Republican strategists saying that they need to go back to the drawing board with their messaging. And I knew that this was going to kind of become a thing because I saw last year, um, Ted Cruz was tweeting the 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 uh, Republicans are the party of blue collar workers. Well, no, yeah. they're the party of cutting taxes on the wealthiest, right. and that does not trickle down as we've seen from Ronald Reagan. However, the Republicans are aligned with the working class view of 
woke stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the focus on pronouns, the focus on, you know, drag queen story hours, you know, all of this kind of stuff, which is a way that maybe didn't pan out that uh, Republicans can uh, can attract working class voters, even if they have no economic solutions for them. Right. Yeah. It's important to remember, you know, both Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden won working class voters on the whole. Uh, Donald Trump made big inroads with white working class voters. And then in 2020, he actually made big inroads with Latino working class voters. White people with college degrees actually voted for Joe Biden at a higher rate than Latino people without college degrees, which should be a big warning sign for Democrats. Um, But yeah, I mean, Republicans spent millions of dollars talking about trans people, talking about surgeries and 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 medication and all this stuff and it, it did not really pan out for them um so you know as uh, yeah, it's certainly as, my hope that that doesn't dis, dis, uh dissuade democrats from from being standing up for lgbtq people you know right um speaking of lgbt people tell mm-hmm. us about the i saw you tweeting about it so tell us about this um marriage scuffle Oh yes, so because Chuck Schumer has proposed a bill, you 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 take it because I I don't have any notes about that in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. So today, uh, Wednesday, uh, the Senate is voting on a bill called the Respect for Marriage Act, um, and it is a bill that has been in the works since um, June when uh, Clarence Thomas's concurrence, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas's concurrence in uh, the opinion that overturned Roe v. Wade, also said that the court should revisit um, major gay rights cases, like the ones that um, establish marriage equality. Um, So Democrats and a lot of people in the media, whether because they're intentionally trying to mislead people or they're just, you know, a little lazy and aren't doing their research, they've been repeatedly referring to this as codifying same-sex marriage, which it does not. It does, what it does is it repeals the Defense of Marriage Act, which was passed in 1996 passed by a Republican Congress, signed by Democrat President Bill Clinton, um, which which banned any federal uh, recognition of same-sex marriage. So under the Defense of Marriage Act, even if a state allowed gay people to get married, you couldn't get federal benefits, you couldn't file your taxes together, you couldn't you know, get a passport through each other. If someone from another country married you, they wouldn't get citizenship or any benefits like that, nothing like that. So the Supreme Court struck down that law in 2013, two years before they established marriage equality in Obergefell. Um, but now with the new Supreme Court conservative supermajority, there are concerns about whether or not they would, uh, you know, strike down that, reverse that previous ruling as well. So this this bill would take the Defense of Marriage Act off the federal books and say that no matter what happens um, at the state level, um, the federal government will recognize a marriage performed for same-sex couples um, if that happens, if a state allows that. And so regardless of what Clarence Thomas and the conservative-led Supreme Court would do in the future, um, would would this, if this bill passes and they think that it will because the, the gay marriage is not such a seditious uh, right, you know, thing right. to, to even, even enough Republicans, I think they have 10... Uh, Republican votes, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes. So, uh, th- 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 would would anything that the Supreme Court do be able to overrule this? 
No, no. So what the Supreme Court could still do, so there are two two court cases around gay marriage. One is uh, Windsor v. U.S. in 2013, which overruled the Defense of Marriage Act. And one is Obergefell v. Hodges in 2015, which ruled that every state has to allow uh, same-sex marriages. If the court were to overrule overturn both of those, um, you know, states could still, states that are right now, you know, say a southern state like Texas, that are now compelled to offer same-sex marriage, if the court overruled that decision, Texas could go back to saying, hey, gay people, you can't get married here. However, the federal government would not be able to go back to saying, hey, gay people who got married in Massachusetts, we're not recognizing your marriage. And it would basically say that Texas also has to recognize if you got married in Massachusetts, that marriage uh, exists in Texas, even if Texas wouldn't perform that marriage, if that makes sense. The the basic rule is is so, that – sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. You, you're doing I was just going to say the basic rule is that uh, – Congress doesn't have direct authority over marriages. That's always been something states can decide. Like states, different states have rules for what age you can get married at. Um, you know, West Virginia, it's 14 or something, I assume. Um, but like, uh, <laughs> they have different rules I'm there. I'm moving, I'm moving. <laughs> and the federal government is basically agnostic on that. It says, we don't care what age you get married at. We're going to recognize it no matter what. This bill would make the federal government agnostic on uh, whether or not a marriage is gay or straight as well, which would still be a step forward. It just wouldn't, you know, do everything that a lot of people are saying it would do. One of the most uh, riveting things was the the Dr. Oz and yeah. John Fetterman uh, debating each other in Pennsylvania. And this is after Fetterman had suffered a stroke and had not done much public speaking. And he was having difficulty, uh, you know, speaking. He, he actually can run his... Uh, thought like i i think that whatever while recovering from this stroke he is in a position to still do his work but he doesn't he just can't respond as quickly and clearly and a lot of people thought that this was going to be um his death knell over, yeah you know because i mean it's it's uh you know listen if you follow politics or not uh, you want someone who seems coherent. Coherency being a judge of of people, especially who are not so up to date on the issues. You mm -hmm. know, you just you know. I mean, please, we vote on based on who's better looking, right? You know, totally. I mean. I, so if you see someone who's struggling to speak, so um, <laughs> the, the one interesting thing about this is that Oprah was involved because she was taking a lot of heat for um, giving Dr. Oz a platform. Then he came, turned into kind of like a Trump Republican. I'm not Oprah's biggest fan, but I don't think mm -hmm. we can judge anyone who puts anyone, a guest on their TV show. Like if you turn into a raging election denier tomorrow, I'm not at blame <laughs> for platforming you when, on this when podcast. When I turn into a raging election yeah, right, 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 right. So, so, I mean, and then at the last minute, Oprah jumped in and endorsed uh, Fetterman. But... Um, I don't remember where this analysis were from, but someone was saying, you know, maybe people appreciated that Fetterman, um, you know, got up there earnestly despite his, you know, it, 
inability to speak that clearly. Um, and it was tough to watch. Mm-hmm. And they chose someone who was perhaps flawed in terms of speaking uh, over a TV personality like Dr. Oz, like, you know, Carrie Lake. Um, uh, Dr. Oz was also from out of state. Right, and right. Uh, Fetterman has a long history there. But, I mean, that was, that was a nail-biter that I was certainly not sure of. Yeah, I was the same way. I did not expect... And I didn't expect it to turn out, you know, the way it did. And also, John Fetterman actually... About doubled Joe Biden's margin in Pennsylvania from 2020, um, which wasn't something most people expected. He picked up a bunch of votes in, you know, smaller counties in in Western Pennsylvania that voted for Trump. Um, I, I think the the big thing that stuck out to me about that is if Dr. Oz had come out and said, "Hey guys, it's just a little bit too risky. We need someone who's in full health." I hope he does well, but we we just got to, you know, make sure we have the best person. That would have been a different argument, but his campaign repeatedly, you know, made fun of him for having the stroke. They even at one point said if he had eaten more vegetables, he wouldn't have gotten a stroke, which uh, just didn't turn out to be a, a very appealing <laughs> message to people, especially when you're a millionaire who owns 10 houses. I think that comes off to, to normal people as like, who the hell is this guy? You know? Wait, wait, you mean that I am at risk of a stroke? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Well, another thing about the Fetterman thing is that he was considered a, uh, a Bernie Sanders type. I mean, he appeared in, um, you know, he has a kind of like a motorcyclist beard. Uh, he um, wears hoodies and shorts and is seen as a populist. So this is also um, a message that someone who is progressive and who is running a populist campaign, you know, instead of just stuff like we save democracy or we right, appointed the right. first black woman can win in a swing state like Pennsylvania. And often the more centrist Democrats will blame uh, progressives for their losses. And, and in fact, centrist Democrats did back Connor Lamb in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, who was John Fetterman's less progressive uh, opponent, Democratic mm-hmm. opponent in the primary. So is this a message that maybe we should look a little bit more kindly? I mean, do you? I certainly see that yeah. uh, reflected in the Fetterman thing. Are there other cases, Summer Lee also in Pennsylvania, to be, I mean, there are several new squad members, but I, I don't have the overview that you would that would permit me to make that conclusion. Yeah, I, I think Fetterman is the prime example. Two, one small thing I would note is that he uh, really moderated. He supported Bernie Sanders in 2016, but moderated his position on fracking and on the police this year. Um, but on economic issues like taxes, like spending, like Social Security and Medicare, you know, he was as progressive as they come. Um, and I that was borne out uh, in that race. Um, there were a couple races in, across the Midwest where Democrats really leaned into populist messaging. There was one race I followed really closely in Michigan um, between Congressman Dan Kildee in a district Biden won only very narrowly and this businessman Paul Young. Um, and the Democrat in that race, Kildee, won really easily. He ran a bunch of ads that leaned really heavily into progressive populist messaging. 
Um, and across the Midwest, really, Democrats performed way better than they did in the Northeast. You know, they lost a lot of ground in the Northeast and, and did better did better there. And so I think there there is this lesson um, with the contrast in how Fetterman performed, how some progressives in the, in the Midwest performed, especially versus how Democrats in Florida, who ran a former Republican, Charlie Crist, for governor, um, how much of a bloodbath it was for them down well, there. You know, but also Val Demings, a black Democrat, lost, and mm-hmm. she is a former cop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they uh, they both lost by sixteen points. Val Demings spent over seventy million dollars, twenty million more than Marco Rubio, um, and they lost in a bloodbath. Uh, and I, I think there should be some taking stock of why that happened. So what it, have we gotten any numbers in on what was spent overall in, in, in these midterms? Because some of these races, as you just mentioned, were extremely, uh, I mean, th- 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 this was like, ooh, I mean. It, it was, it, it's truly an insane amount of money. I'm a bit of a nerd and I've been following elections since I was like in high school. And I remember when it was a lot of money to spend like, Three million dollars on a race. Um, now I feel a little bit old talking about that, but like this, this election was more than sixteen billion dollars spent just on this election, which is just to me that's one of my like the causes I get so up in arms about. We just spent so much money for two years doing absurd. Th- like this, this money could be spent on so many better things, and. Uh, it's our campaign finance system is so broken, um, especially when you compare it to other industrialized countries. Um, so it's truly billions and billions of dollars that we all just lived through. Yeah, and I mean, this is one thing that you know I'm I'm lost friends in 2016 and 2020. You know, advocating for Bernie Sanders' election. You know, I I I take him with a bit of a pinch of salt these days, and I I don't think he would run again, but he's still very popular. And I was curious that. You know, Democrats, when they realized we need more of an economic uh, message, sent Bernie out, who is the most popular senator in the country, who has always run on an economic message um, Mm. that can attract, uh, you know, I mean, if you're not doing well and the, the economy is the issue, then it doesn't really matter if you're right or left, if you can, uh, you know, speak to the people who are struggling to pay for eggs and milk right. and and gas. So I was very, you know, cute because sometimes Bernie is uh, is so despised, but that that was something that could have uh, you know helped the Democrats who were not running on an economic message it, at at the same time that the GOP was running on uh, an economic message that didn't have a clear plan, um, and uh, they were rightly faulted for wanting to cut Social Security, which some centrist Democrats <laughs> have tried also as well. Did. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, uh, but um, now Bernie is out saying that the country is more looks more like him, uh, and 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 you know, kind of taking progressivism as as a winner in this, as we've hit on a bit. But he's also saying that we've got to get money out of politics. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in my view, the only people that don't want to get money out of politics are those who cannot win without it, are those who have not done 
much, uh, you know, uh, for people and don't have that much of a record to run, but they need glossy, you know, produced ads created by, mm -hmm. you know, think tanks to kind of congeal their message in a way which may or may not be true. And just as a as an example of this, please don't ever criticize yourself as being a nerd because honey, nerds have knowledge. Okay, <laughs> so uh, the the uh, and we need knowledge. We need clear you know, knowledge and we need to be able to contrast things. But just as, as recently as Obama, um, who spoke out against Citizens United at a state function and a Republican yelled out, uh, liar. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. You, you lie. Joe Wilson. You right? lie. Joe. Okay. Wow. You got a memory like a, a steel, whatever. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what the expression is. Sharp. So, so at that time, mainstream Democrats like Obama were uh, at least flirting with the idea of getting money out of politics. And now I see Bernie, you know, out there saying that, you know, this election was basically, I mean, this isn't a quote, basically polluted with all the money uh, spent. But, you know, if so, so, wh why did Democrats drop that? I, I think so. Uh, the biggest manifestation of that trend, which is absolutely right, uh, was how Obama rever reversed his position on having a super PAC in the 2012 presidential race. And the basic calculus he made was like, look, I don't want these rules to be in place, but if they're going to be in place, I can't I can't play with one hand tied behind my back. That That is the the favorable way of viewing things. And I do think that there is some legitimacy to that. You can't, you know, it, whether or not you think the rules should be different, you have to play with the ones that exist. However, there are also a, a whole lot of Democrats who just seem to get very comfortable with the system. A good example I would give you is Congresswoman Elaine Luria, who represents Southern Virginia. She's on the January 6th committee. She was elected in 2018 and then narrowly reelected in 2020. And she was one of the first incumbent Democrats to lose this year. Um, not to pick on her or anything, but she's someone who made a public pledge not to accept corporate PAC money, which is money that, you know, major corporate corporations and corporate executives put into a group and then they hand it to, to politicians. She said she was not going to accept that. And then she reversed that pledge and raised um, about $500,000 from corporate PACs. And there was no reason for that. You know, she was guaranteed to have a bunch of money from being on the January 6th committee, by being well-known, by doing TV hits. Um, and she just kind of chose to do it anyway. And I, I think that's an unfortunate trend you see with with all too many Democrats. Mm -hmm. Do you think that in the Herschel Walker, um, mm. Raphael Warnock thing that, that I mean, it, I'm, I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee. I've lived in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, but I do not have the attitudes of most. And I look at Herschel and I think I do not know why he could be doing well. Now, part of the, I did, after everyone was saying he was a moron, I did see him making, uh, a, during a debate, and he wasn't as, he does have some charm. I mean, he, he, this was actually funny. He said, oh yeah, the Democrats are trying to make me play women's sports, which is not true, but it is funny. <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 humor is uh, is is an important part of things that you know that Trump has. But do you think that uh, that this race might be close enough to necessitate a runoff? Because 
Warnock and Ossoff in the 2020 election were campaigning on there being a $2,000 stimulus check. Then when they got elected, that check dropped down to $1,400. Yeah, which I I just truly will never get over because when you calculated how it was like a couple billion dollars, which is nothing for the federal government. So anyway, I I never got over that. I never understood why they did that. Um, But yes, so Georgia will be voting again for Senate because Georgia is one of the southern states that has this rule that if you don't get 50 percent, you have to go to a a runoff between the top two candidates. That rule actually originates in... um, segregationist era, Jim Crow era, Southern, uh, mm-hmm. Southern politics. Um, but it also is the thing that gave Democrats the Senate in, in 2020. So if you're a Democrat mad about that, um, your, your majority of the past two years was created through, through the runoff. Um, I think that the main thing that I'm watching here, and I've been listening to a lot of, uh, people smarter than me say this is that by Democrats already having the Senate, it could prove to um, disincentivize a lot of Republicans to turn out and vote for Herschel Walker because Democrats are going to have the Senate no matter what. So, hey, why why do you even want to turn out and, and vote for this guy? It's not going to do anything either way. Um, it'll be super close because it's Georgia at the end of the day. Um, at this point, if I had to bet, I would probably bet that um, Raphael Warnock w- wins. But um, it'll be close mm-hmm. because it's Georgia. Well, I mean, you know, some of the people, when Fetterman had difficulty speaking, some of the people were saying, oh, you know, don't be mean to someone with a a disability, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and and, I mean, you know, Herschel, (laughs) I'm not going to say that he has a disability, but I mean, he is cuckoo. But, but, you know, here's what people don't tend to understand. Um, Republicans vote for Republicans. Democrats yeah, yeah. vote for Democrats, and Georgia is a deep red state. I mean, maybe maybe it's a little bit more purple in Atlanta, you know, but it's a red state. Yeah, it's definitely red-leaning. Um, it, I would say it's purple at this point, but yeah, that's the thing at the end of the day. You, most of politics now is not getting people on the fence to vote for you. It's really just seeing if you can turn out as many of your core supporters um, as the other guy. And so that's what right. that's what's going to determine Georgia to me. Right. So if voters decided that election deniers and Trump were just like too much, too chaotic, and did not elect plenty of his, uh, you know, more crazy, you know, I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene won, but they didn't <laughs> elect the, the, uh, the, the, the more out there you know, Trump-endorsed Republican. So the the one takeaway is that Trump bad and that this might give way to someone else running the country or running as a Republican to run the country like DeSantis. So we went into this, though, with Biden's approval ratings down and even a majority of voters thinking that he should not run again. And -hmm. I think like 75% of voters thinking that the country is going in the wrong direction. And he's been in charge for two years. I've seen some Democratic strategists saying that this bolstered Biden's chances. What are your thoughts on that? To, To run in 2024, what are your thoughts on that? He's he's basically he's hinted at a bunch of times. He's he keeps saying it's his intention to run Um, from everything I've been seeing the past few days. This absolutely makes it more likely that he'll run because he can turn around and say, hey, look, we didn't you know, I led us to to victory to almost victory in the House. 
Um, I, I, I think it's important to remember most Democrats don't even want him to run. Uh, most Democrats throughout the 2020 primary, if you ask them, hey, if you could wave a magic wand and make somebody president, they picked Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or somebody else over Joe Biden. Um, so there hasn't really been a love affair with Biden uh, from the start. I do think, you know, if you're a Democrat, you're probably stuck with him uh, for another four years, especially because most Democrats don't want to go with the next option, which would be Kamala Harris. Um, Hello. I, do, <laughs> I, I think <laughs> one thing that that validated uh, me this election was I think a lot of those people that, you know, you saw in polls saying I disapprove of Joe Biden or I think the country is on the wrong track were people who were coming at that from the left, who were saying, I think Joe Biden should be more progressive, or I think the country's on the wrong track because we're not being progressive enough. And I think that was overlooked by a lot of mainstream pundits. Um, and that's part of why you saw a lot of young voters turn out and say, okay, well, we'll reward you for the marijuana decision, the student debt decision, but we still don't love you, you know? Yes, and I mean, it's telling that Obama hit the campaign trail for Democrats, many of whom did not want to be seen with Biden, you know, or Kamala. I mean, and so, I mean, that's quite telling in itself. And as someone who is not a Joe Biden or fan of centrist Democrats, this is from an article, CNN Fact Check. Biden's midterms message include false and misleading claims on Social Security, on the amount that he had traveled with uh, China's Z, I don't even know if I've ever seen <laughs> and, 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 and uh, debt and deficit, uh, the unemployment mm. rate, and gas prices. I mean, it's almost like Joe is so old that he does <laughs> not understand that everything is on video. Yeah, I think that that's part of it for sure. I do wonder sometimes if he thinks he's saying something that's true. Um, I, I wonder that sometimes, uh, I don't know the answer there. Um, I do think it's funny. I do think it's funny that a lot of Democrats wanted to campaign with Obama, but not with Biden because when Obama was president, a bunch of them wanted to campaign with Biden, but not with Obama. So it's a bit of a role reversal. Interesting. And I, Washington post, uh, fact checker, Glenn Kessler, uh, has given, Biden his first bottomless Pinocchio uh, for for some of his claims. Now, I, I don't know if you followed that Glenn Kessler thing, but Glenn fact check Trump's many, many whoppers yes. throughout his four years in office, but then, you know, came out with something, I don't have the language in front of me, that, that stopped fact checking when Biden, you know... Uh, <laughs> took office and I'm I'm kind of like uh I I I don't like you know falsehoods coming from the left or the right cuz we need to know what is happening and 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 you know you shouldn't be hitting the campaign trail with you know stuff that isn't true you know because you know and, and so this is this is right after the election Biden said there's not going to be much we can do on abortion uh, with the current makeup, the new makeup of the Congress. And there's not going to be, and and student debt has now been challenged Mm -hmm. um, by actually a Republican uh, who got her own, the plaintiff got her own PPP loans forgiven. 
Um, I, I, there is there's some suggestion that I uh, that that she is backed by the Koch brothers, but which would would not be surprising. But uh, you know who don't want student debt canceled. So. Um, you know, it's total hypocrisy that she got her own PPP loan of, mm-hmm. I think it was $43,000 forgiven, yet she doesn't want ten dollars to $20,000, which Joe Biden offered uh, to cancel and was taking applications. But as, as with all of these young voters perhaps enthused about issues like abortion, because um, let me tell you this, an old, an old bitch is not... <laughs> With a button, let's just just straight straight up feminist. But so now the student debt is thrown into question and the abortion's thrown into question. So I'm kind of like, if these were the turnout issues for many voters, including young voters, not even a week after the election is, it's like, oh, well, so we can't do anything on abortion with the with the new makeup uh and we can't uh and the student debt is being challenged possibly because joe biden did not really want to cancel much of it is not canceling as much as he said and there are accusations that he relied on a faulty legal framework which mm. would make it uh easy which would make his cancellation easier to challenge brianna joy gray at on rising has mm-hmm. covered this you know a, as well as some others now what is the message then that the reward for going out to vote on your issues, and the Democratic Party is saying, "I will codify Ray, Roe v. Wade if I if I'm reelected." What if that turns into you'll get a two thousand dollar check, and it's a fourteen hundred dollar dollar check? I, I'm not sure exactly how um, to to process that. I I I I am very critical of centrist Democrats after having been a lifelong, uh, you know, Democrat, but. I just don't, it seems like you have broken the contract with voters. If you say, vote for us and we'll do this, and you're not going to send them that $2,000 check in 2020, and you don't actually, uh, you're not actually able to codify Roe v. Wade, and you didn't, uh, you know, perhaps make the, the best decision on student debt, does that embitter the young voters who were voting on those issues? Yeah, I think it's a it's a complicated question, right? Because I, I, to be straightforward, you know, the promise from Democrats was if we keep the House and we expand the majority in the Senate, we'll codify Roe v. Wade. Um, well, they expanded their they could very well expand their majority in the Senate, but they didn't keep the House. So, you know, in that right. sense, you can say you know they 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 didn't really break their promise because they didn't really get what what they needed to do that. I do think that's an area, though, where like credibility really matters, right? And that's where something like the $2,000 check is just like, why would you blow your credibility? Because you need your credibility down the road uh, to tell people that that stuff can or cannot get done. Um, on the student debt stuff, I, I've seen that stuff from uh, from Brianna Joy Gray and, and others. I don't put a huge amount of stock in that, um, if only because we've seen a lot of reporting that Joe Biden is obsessed with um, being a better president than Barack Obama. That's one of the things that privately he talks a lot about. 
Um, and I think he does want these accomplishments. He does want people to remember him as a great president, as someone who did a lot of stuff. Um, so we'll have to see how that student debt plays out um, in the courts. Um, it really depends yeah. on how Republicans on the Supreme Court look at it. Um, is it misleading? I don't think a lot of the young voters know knew that, oh, we have to get this amount of votes um, for Democrats or, you know, are going out to vote for abortion, you right, know, right. and to maintain student debt. I don't, I don't think that that was made clear. I can't say for a fact that it was deceptive. I know that there were simplistic tweets, which did not um, include all of those uh Details, but one thing that interests me when you say that uh, Biden wants to be a better president than Joe Biden. Now, uh, Joe Biden came into office, hung up a picture of FDR. For those who don't know history, uh, FDR was responsible for the New Deal, which was a worker, um, mm -hmm. uh, good, good for workers, created Social Security, created, wasn't it like child labor standards, you know, because it was, you know, and, and, and FDR's, uh, who was not that progressive, his message was, Make me do it, people. It's not really in my DNA to do it, as it is not in Joe Biden's DNA to be progressive, not throughout his whole career. But so the the, the responsibility, people, if you want uh, abortion rights, if you want uh, uh, student debt cancellation, is to really just look beyond Democrat versus Republican and see what kind of Democrat, who is funding them, what their past record on issues are that matter to you, and have they stood strong on them or have they, you know, given in. And it wasn't until uh, Biden won and started doing some stuff that was progressive, I mean, he's no FDR, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that I saw mainstream media criticizing Obama for policy. And, and we've just got this thing built into us where if you criticize Obama, you're a racist, you're a Trumper, you're a birther, you know, all this kind of stuff. Because Democrats very cleverly, I think deceptively, came up with this article, uh, I mean, with this with this notion when Obama was president of, oh, blame the black guy because Republicans would blame him for everything. That doesn't mean that Obama was blameless. And so when, when I hear you say that Biden doesn't want to be uh, the president that Obama was, I'm hoping that means that he realized he has to do more than people because uh, the Obama was there for two terms and he did not, uh, he, he did not help. There, there was not a very strong economic recovery. Yeah, for sure. And this is, I mean, the rule I always tell people um, is that uh, it's bullshit that we live in a system that asks us to like be as invested as, as we have to be, but we live in that system. So we, we have to, we have to read, we have to be skeptical. We have to be skeptical of Democrats when they come tell us things. We have to be skeptical of the media. And my general rule is like the improv rule when it comes to Democrats. It's a, a yes. And yes, Joe Biden is the most progressive president we've had in 
quite a while. And he's way less progressive on things than he could be. You know, yes, he is lagging on a lot of things. This Congress didn't achieve a lot of things he promised, like paid leave, like a national clean energy standard or police reform. And it's been more, you know, action on climate change than we've ever had in in American history, you know? So it's a complicated- Yes, yes, and the climate bill is soured by Joe Manchin's provision of 100 million new acres for drilling before we do anything green. What totally, yeah, and that's the <laughs> so, and that's the there's a really good piece in the New Republic, uh, that if you're interested in that climate stuff, I would recommend everyone reading because it is kind of this deal with the devil to get some climate action for some fossil fuel stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's two steps forward, one step back, and it's it's how you look at uh, that trade off, um, is how you look at Joe Biden's presidency on the whole. Well, I want to thank you so much. This has been wonderful because the the, the 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 election was 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 very mixed signals. I mean, it, it was it was all kinds of stuff. It it was yeah. It's really complicated to sift through. Um, luckily, I am deeply mentally ill and have been doing nothing but <laughs> sift, sifting through it for the past few days. This has been so fun. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that is why we counted on your expertise. And you are at Steve Morris on Twitter. Yeah, at Steve Morris underscore underscore. There is a Steve Morris in Indiana who refuses to give me Steve Morris. Um, So we got two underscores after that. Podcast Network.